Generation Z is used to working remotely after starting their careers during the pandemic. According to surveys, many Gen Zers want to return to the office, and some feel less passionate about their work when they only work remotely. These are taken from a Generation Lab survey cited by Axios. About 40% of Gen Z want to return to the office. In contrast, a similar study from Slack shows that only about 12% of the older generations wish to go back. And this makes sense, as Gen Z, born between 1997 and 2012, had been fostered in an age where handshakes, hugs, and gatherings didn't lead to rising concerns of becoming patient zero for some wild new contagion. Yet, if you look at any study about what workers care about, you'll see that white-collar employees want more flexibility to get things done when and where they want. So it's no surprise that this benefit is important to Gen Zers. Microsoft's research shows that Gen Zers are 77% more likely to interact with a job posting on LinkedIn if it includes the word flexibility in it. But the most crucial thing to Gen Z, depending on what question you ask or what study you look at, they wanted a more positive culture from employers. A positive work culture encompasses a lot of different factors. For example, it may mean a focus on mental health and work-life integration, but it also goes deeper than that. It's feeling like a company has a strong set of values embedded in its culture. This can include things like sustainability, diversity, equity, and inclusion. When all factors are present, it creates a positive culture at work where employees can thrive. And that's a good thing for business because happy and healthy employees are more productive. Many of these studies will tell you that Gen Zers are intelligent and more informed than we give them credit for. They work hard when they're passionate about what they're doing and are united in many of these ideals we just mentioned. In other words, if there's going to be a generation to move the world and the economy forward in a kind of shared partnership, I wouldn't put my money against Gen Z. Gen Z might be the generation that gets us equity in the business world and restores our faith in companies that abandoned loyalty for dividends sometime 40 years ago. They may be the ones to rewrite the new employee contract. And that, my friends, allows me to segue to our next guest. Author Anthony Anesto provides an in-depth analysis of Generation Z in his new book, The New Employee Contract, How to Find, Keep, and Elevate Gen Z Talent. He explains who they are, what they want, and how businesses can give it to them. Ernesto argues that companies must understand this generation's needs and wants to succeed. Gen Z is different from previous generations. They're digital natives who expect almost real-time delivery on their expectations. His book provides a comprehensive overview of the research he did on Generation Z and how to appeal to them. It's an essential read for anyone working in management or wanting to understand this generation of 74 million Americans that's about to become the staple of our workforce. Anthony and I had a really good time discussing the potential that Gen Z will bring into the workforce. And still, we also delve into many different areas of work, uh, automation, technology, and so much more. But find out for yourself, and I hope you enjoy The Anthony Ernesto with Jay Berkshire. Welcome to the With Jay Burke Show. My name is Jason Burke, and though I'm technically the host of this podcast, it's the guests who truly take top billing. This is a place for curious minds who enjoy civil and sometimes meandering conversation. If you appreciate a few laughs and want to come away with new knowledge about subjects that aren't always easy to break down, then you're the person I want listening to this podcast. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Anthony Anesto. Anthony is a multifaceted individual with a lot of hyphens. He's a chief people officer at Suzy. Suzy is an end-to-end -end consumer insights platform and helps businesses make their teams faster and make consumer-centric decisions. 
He also founded Ella Adventures in 2015, a company that produces a comic book and cartoon series called Ella the Engineer. The purpose of the comic is to encourage young girls to pursue interests in science, technology, engineering, and math, and entrepreneurship. Most recently, Anthony just became an author with a book titled The New Employee Contract, How to Find, Keep, and Elevate Gen Z Talent. The book teaches us about Generation Z from the perspective of a manager at a company looking to recruit and retain staff. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on our show today. Thanks, Jay. I really appreciate it. And I, I, uh, I've never been described as having high, so many hyphens, so I, I actually love that. Yeah, yeah. That's what I saw when I went to your website. I saw a <laughs> bunch of different things. I said, that's a really hyphenated guy right there. So. <laughs> I love so, it. Yeah, I'm more power to you, though. You know, <laughs> how do you keep up? How do you keep up with all the hyphens? Uh, surround yourself with people smarter than you. That's, that, a, that's you know, people ask me all the time, "How do you have time to do all this?" And I'm a dad to three teenagers who want nothing to do with me, so that gives me some time on my hands. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's really surrounding yourself with with super smart people. Yeah, three teenagers. Huh? So I have three. Two are teenagers. One's one's uh, seven years old. So. It's, uh, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the two older ones are definitely, you know, especially my oldest. He's like, he gives me some time, you know. Well, we, we do some things together, but mostly it's, you know, in his room. And he's on the, the headset all the time with his friends on gaming. But I guess that's kind of the generation we're talking about today, right? I mean, Gen Perfect. Z is kind of... Perfect uh, segue. Yeah, yeah. That was totally accidental, too, so... <laughs> um, yeah, but that's well. That's what they're they're known for, right? They're the gaming generation. I guess we would call them. They are. You know, it's the the interesting thing that I found researching for the book was, it, and it was also gender agnostic, meaning you know whether you identify as male, female, or otherwise. They're, they're most of them are gamers. Um, typically, you know, in generations prior, uh, folks that identify as male uh, typically were gamers. This generation is very different. They're they're all mostly gamers and. It's a very interesting insight because as leaders and companies, when we hear something like, like that, an insight like, oh, Gen Z or, or gamers, automatically we think, okay, we, we need to gamify everything. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, let's gamify, you know, recruiting and let's gamify that. And with, with, the, with the really interesting thing about Gen Z specifically around gaming was that there was no, there's no leveling, right? So Fortnite is a great example of, of, a, of a gaming system or a gaming platform uh, that Gen Z uses. In Fortnite, you're on the same level as everyone else. You can't, in Fortnite, get anything that gives you an advantage to anyone else. But Fortnite is a billion-dollar company. I don't know if you know that. Five or six billion dollars in revenue each year because they sell cosmetics. And what, what is a cosmetic, you're probably asking? It's basically a skin. So yeah. I can buy a Moon Knight skin if I'm a Marvel fan or a She-Hulk skin or whatever. And so this generation, it's you know, it's not about gamification. It's really thinking about that is their version of maybe for me, who's you know Gen X, a, a BMW or Mercedes. You know, it's yeah. like their skin. It's a hell of a lot cheaper, by the way. But, um, so <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's really interesting the whole gaming aspect yeah. with this generation. Yeah, I, I actually find the generations very interesting. So I'm Gen X as well. I'm on like the very tail end of Gen X, but I still claim that throne. So um, Gen X is is a, is a weird one because I think we were kind of like thrown to ourselves. That was when both parents were really working. That's where you have the latchkey kid. Uh, exactly. That's where that saying yep. comes from, right? Gen X, you know. Yeah. But we're like we're old enough to remember a time before the cell phone really the cell phone kind of changed everything when you think about it i mean you had nowadays you carry your tv your map your phone any kind of communication there's so many things on there it's like the swiss army knife at this point for your life right you do your business on there you yeah. your games on there you do everything but you know our generation we still remember how to use the rotary phone but we we shifted seamlessly with the in the iphone right right so yeah it's it's you know if you look at one of the the pivotal dates in, in history pertaining to, to Gen Z is uh, 2007 when the iPhone launched. And in fact, in a lot of the sessions that I'm doing now, I do presentations, I, I train companies, I talk to CEOs and do roundtables. You know, part of it is really starting with the iPhone launch. Um, now, we, this week, just, I guess yesterday or two days ago, iPhone 14 uh, had come out. 
but really your your point is spot on like this it's not only the internet because you and i remember a time when there was no internet right mm -hmm. um or maybe i do since you're on the cusp of, of gen x i know more of that world uh than a lot of folks do there was no internet then there was the internet with that crackling kind of uh yeah, online sound which you did by the way to get you know turned off when you got a phone call <laughs> so uh really sophistication this generation it wasn't only internet like this generation was born online right like yeah. they know nothing of of a non-digital world and then then it's mobile even more so so this phone, like you said, is the extension of themselves. Um, I mean, we can talk about a whole podcast on how Apple has killed entire industries. Like Gorman, yeah. the GPS company, have you, I mean, the last time you had a GPS device in your car, like yeah. Waze and all these other things. So really disturbed. But, but And it's another really interesting element because you have a lot of traditional frameworks in, in a lot of things that aren't mobile yet right like we're i think covid kind of pushed us into being more digital if you weren't digital before because amazon's even eating everyone's lunch but yeah even more so mobile right mobile experiences and, and mobile uh, applications things of that nature um because they're mobile it's quick right it's you know i'm learning this whole language i don't know if your teenager is teaching you all these like sus and mid and all these yeah. uh quick you know, quick texting kind of languages, but, you know, they text quickly because they're messaging quickly. They have a short attention span. In my book, I talk about their eight second attention span. So they've already been turned out. If any Gen Z were on this podcast, they've already, they're, they're texting someone else already, but yeah. Uh, and now welcome back. And here we go. The next <laughs> eight seconds. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really fascinating to look at this generation specifically. That's true. When I talk to somebody in Gen Z, I had to learn that because I used to find them almost abrupt. <laughs> Like in texting or email, I always felt like they were very abrupt, but they're used to just getting the information out as quick as possible and getting yeah. to the point with it as far as, you know, texting and emailing. But I remember I used to very true. I still I take my time and craft an email still. still. I, I, I don't know what you mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I actually on my on my mobile phone, my signature is brevity is the soul of wit. Right. So right. It's, it's essentially brevity. Is a soul of wit for for this generation, but yeah, I, my kids went through high school with was crafting an email because it was unfamiliar to them because they had the the one platform. I and mean, we talk about TikTok all the time. We know TikTok is like Amazon in a way, eating the lunch of all these social media networks. Um, and it's you know you see the behaviors in TikTok in terms of content creation, things like that, which has we could talk about that in a, in a few minutes, but. Snapchat, which arguably, I mean, from a business perspective, isn't doing all too well. I believe they're downsizing a bit in, mm -hmm. in or have downsized recently. But a lot of Gen Z is on Snapchat because it is a quick kind of conversational. They use it almost as a messaging or, in fact, as a messaging tool. So um, alongside of that. So, yeah, it's just uh, they're not being and that's part of the book, right? Part of the the reason I wrote the book was to to really just give people a perspective because oftentimes we are I've been saying this 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 concept of the antibodies attacking the virus right like so we have the the system that's already in place that we're all familiar with and we're so comfortable with and here comes this new thing and it's different and because it's different we're going to attack it right um, yeah. and and the purpose of the book was really like let's let's learn about these folks so maybe maybe that brevity is okay right or maybe it's not who knows but to be educated and just understand who this generation is what their behaviors are things like that will allow us to, to be a bit smarter about it yeah but what was it what triggered you to say that i'm just going to write a book on this well covid literally gave me three hours extra in my day because i wasn't commuting so um that was one main reason i guess just gave me the availability to do it but i've been thinking about in the context of the title of the book is the new employee contract you know years ago my my father worked for one company his entire life i think he was like the last person on earth to ever do that but he worked you know he started out in the mail room um made his way up and and, and started you know with the controller he was an accountant so worked his his entire life for the company gave his blood sweat years for the company and they gave him opportunity right they they said okay you're going to give us work and We'll give you a paycheck and opportunity, and he moved up from from the mailroom into a pretty pretty well paid position. 
until the idea of short-term gains started coming into a lot of companies and a lot of companies and, and I can't blame CEOs. I think it's it's a it's a macroeconomic thing. Yeah. It's you know, it's the expectation of CEOs to think about short term. Some of them, you know, you have Jeff Bezos who's more long term thinking CEO because he founded and Elon Musk and other folks. But for the most part, most CEOs are beholden to boards who hold them to short term financial um responsibility and and that same company i'm going to redact the name i'm going to save the innocent but they made him re my father reply for his job and he didn't get it they forced him into early retirement because it became too expensive like here's a person that gave his entire like so that contract that unwritten like hey i am going to commit to you you're going to commit to me is has been broken and i you know a lot of people Millennials came in and they were, you know, here's the virus, right? And, and and the antibodies said, oh, you're job jumping. But the fact is, like, we lost the script of companies yeah. decades ago because we're like, you know, we do rips. Like, now you've seen it, like a ton of rips that are happening, re- re- reductions in force. Sorry, I'm using HR That's terminology. Okay. It, you know, it's it, we've lost this contract. And I'm like, you know what? We really need to re... We're going to reestablish this contract i i'm going to write about it but then i'm going to also give very tactical advice like i i can have a broad statement on this and no one's gonna no one's gonna really care unless they bring it down to okay what does this mean for me and it was through the lens of this generation that in i would say in the next two to three years become 30 to 40 percent of the workforce and, and we're not ready we're yeah. not ready for them yeah you know i i love that you brought up that point because i would totally agree with that and i think he I saw the same thing, you know, my father worked for his company and my father is a little different case. He was in a union, but he worked for a company. And then at 55, they were like, yeah, we're going to hire younger people. And it's like, I remember him missing softball games, uh, softball, baseball games or my sister's games. And, um, I remember him going in with, you know, sick, he had the flu, he got sent home or, or whatnot. And it's like, I think the generations under that saw that and were kind of like, you know what, we're not going to be, we're not going to get treated like that. I think I saw something that millennials are five times more likely to jump job than other generations before, uh, but it's partly from what they've seen. Yeah. The way big business treats them in that sense as a, as a number, like you said, a reduction in the workforce. And even for them, you know, it's them, but it's also, you know, what they've seen as kids, right? Like this, you know, like you said, your, your dad missed games to go to work and same thing for me. I mean, we're talking, my dad has been retired now for two decades, maybe more. So I was relatively young man back then, less gray hair, but, um, he, you know, it, it made an impact me that 20 years later I'm writing a book. And even the fact that it made an impact that I wanted to go in the HR so I wouldn't be that company that was, you know, redistributing the workforce and doing those things that I would have the power to control those kind of things. And of course, then I realized there's macroeconomic. Yeah. And that might not pay, um, you know, there are bigger macro, there are bigger fish, so to speak. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's really fascinating, and 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 it's interesting because then we we point to the millennials and we say, "Oh, you're job jumpers. You're not loyal." And it's like, wait, hold on. You know, we haven't been loyal for a yeah. while. Like, and I say we collectively, companies and businesses, because everyone is so short term earnings focused that they just they have to be like they're. And so I think we lost the script of that. And like, can we can we get that back at some point? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure either. It, just to back that up, when you talk about what they grew up with, too, it's like Gen Z, the millennial, too, and probably the older one, too. When you think about what they've seen and just what's happened in this country in the last 20 years, I mean, you've been through 9-11, right? They were kids, but there's still there was 9-11, so there was, they were born into war. They were born into the Great Recession, then there was COVID. It's like, you know, we have all these financial bubbles pop up. It's... I can see where the idea of trust isn't really instilled in them when it comes to <laughs> institutions <laughs> and business, you know? Yeah. No, you're, you hit it right on the head. I mean, in the book, I talk a lot about the various recessions, right? Uh, even harking back to the real estate meltdown years ago to, you know, recessions that happened um, in 2008. And then again, you know, a little bit earlier. I mean, we've seen in the last i would say five to seven years some of the the best economic boom that we've seen in a while right the talent market has been incredibly competitive you're looking at potentially two jobs for every 
qualified individual, unemployment at record lows, right? This whole, wherever we are today, it's just a weird anomaly of economics that, you know, everyone's tried to explain, but no one can. A lot of it doesn't um, make sense, I know. A lot of it's very... You know, it's like, yeah, it's like in there, and I, I have a, a friend of mine who's a who's former hedge fund, and he just like gives me sort of other economic inside information about quantitative easing and tapering and all this stuff and way over my head it's almost if you ever uh, watch the big short you know i need like yeah uh, matthew bourdain coming in or Selena gomez to explain what this exactly means but he's pretty good he simplifies a lot of stuff but anyway I, I digress but it's yeah it's like you said and they experienced it through their parents right which was i think you know when it's to you you have some sense of control but when it's to your parents and you see how it's affecting your life and and your home life um and I'm, I'm sure parents like like you like me like we we try not to bring these things home but it's inevitable right and they and they see these things and it's like well i don't i don't ever want to go through that i don't i don't want to do that kind of stuff and how do i how do i avoid doing that um and it's 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 been it's been difficult for for them especially through all these things and like you said even domestic terrorism i talk a lot about racial inequity in the book, climate change, all these things that we read about or watched Al Gore talk about in a TEDx are like coming, you know, you see the wildfires in, yeah. um, in California, you see floods in areas, you've seen droughts in, in global uh, regions, unearthing potentially dinosaurs and other things. Um, yeah. And it's just, you know, they're seeing all these things and they're like, all right, what, you know, what is your company doing about this? Um, and actually, I, had a, I actually post a bit on TikTok these days, just quick little bites, because of course, when I'm talking about Gen Z, it makes complete sense to be on that platform. And I talked about today, you know, like what it's going to be hard for companies to really think about, you know, how do they influence these things, but they need to start thinking about them. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask you is what is the contract? So what can businesses do to keep talent or to keep them loyal? What what I don't want to say keep them loyal because loyalty is a two-way street. So what is the two-way street in order for them to keep talent? I, I you answered the question with the with the question, right? It, it is loyalty. It it is absolutely loyalty and and what we found in doing the research for the book is that if you are if you're clicking on all these things and what i didn't dive to and maybe it's book number two is it's sort of the weight on each one of these things but you know company purpose is going to be incredibly important to these folks and in fact what will happen here is before we're you know for me and i'll, I'll just talk, you know i'll be generalized around gen x but i'll talk about my experience like you know maybe there was a trade-off like Maybe I wasn't really interested in your company purpose, but you paid me really well, right? Where this generation is not even going to, they're not even going to apply. You, you'll never know. They're not even, they'll do due diligence. There's so much information now out about companies that they'll do a bunch of due diligence on your company. So purpose and in, in, in your impact on the world is going to be important to these folks. So thinking through what is that, right? Some companies have a direct purpose uh, and it's easy to establish some companies a little bit harder Obviously, we're on the business of profitability and, and making money. Of course, we have stakeholders. But you know, what is your ultimate purpose as your business? Super important. You're going to flexibility. You know, I see a lot of companies that are return to work a lot, particularly in financial services. And I think if you're if you're Goldman Sachs, you're Goldman Sachs. You're the Harvard of financial services. Like you can you can say come back, and people will because they want that on their resume. But you're starting to see folks, you know, say, hey, you have to come back into an office. And, and some of that will work with, with Gen Z. Some will benefit from that. But they want flexibility in their work. They want to basically determine, and there's a thing I, I talk about, the uh, quality versus quantity, which is a complete reversal of how we think about work, right? We thought about work. If you're in eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours, we determine your success and productivity based on the amount of hours you contribute. Now, I will tell you, I've worked with plenty of people that were totally unproductive and <laughs> work 10 to 12 hours can, a day. I can attest to that uh, or, too, yeah. Or highly ineffective <laughs> with Harvard degrees, by the way. No offense to Harvard. Um, but, you know, it's it's this concept of quality uh, versus quantity. Like, I'm, the output to, to them is going to be important. So it's all these factors. Climate control, you know, climate change, what's your position on that? Um, social unrest, 
uh, diversity and, and equity is going to be it's super important to this generation. You know, the fact of them being born on the iPhone, so digital presence, how how is their digital experience with your company, career growth? And one of the things that's interesting is they'll stay with your company. You click on all of these things and do these things right from their perspective. They're incredibly loyal. They're not going to job jump. In fact, we found that they would actually jump jobs within your company. So they want to be, they'll, they'll stay with you, but they'll want to gain more experience or more exposure or different things within your organization. They'll, they'll stay where millennials were like, no, I'm going to actually go out and do this somewhere else and get different experience. So there's definitely a loyalty. And, and I think a lot of that is attributed to the fact that they were raised by Gen X. You know, and again, generalized some boomers, some millennials in there. But most of, of Gen Z was, was raised by Gen X, which is, was somewhat of a loyal generation to the company. So um, I think there's definitely some opportunities there if companies get it right. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. When you say being aware of, of social issues and things like that, it makes me think about when Disney tried to stay out of the, the mess in Florida with the like, don't say gay bill and they didn't take part either way in it. And uh, I remember Bob Chapek really just tried to say, we're not a political company. We don't, we're not going to get involved. And his employees basically, you know, had a walkout on them. So they are forced into positions where the younger generation is saying like, well, that's not good enough. You know, you, you're going to have, have to take a position and let us know where we stand on it. So I think that's, and a, it's that's amazing. And, and it's amazing, and your your example is a perfect example. You know, I feel like, again, I'm overgeneralizing being a Gen X, but we kind of, you know, we were like, oh, okay. You know, like, we, we we didn't make a decision with our feet, and, and these folks do, right? Yeah. Perfect. Your, your example is perfect. You know, there was a, recently a, a Gen Z first congressperson, uh, potentially. Not, oh, yeah, you know, one, one is, won the nomination, and I, I believe it was in Florida, too. So making like th there's no hesitation on these things. It's like it's it's a it's a real resolve that they have. Um, I believe there was I forget who it was, but some college students, you know, uh, had a and just professor leave because of some positions that they didn't agree with. So just you know these it's not a generation that will sit to the side. This is a generation that's going to act upon what's important to them. And the question I think for companies, CEOs and leaders is how do you balance all these things and how can you figure out what is more important? And that's, that's where I think the, a little bit of the gap in the book is that could potentially be a, a framework or a workbook afterwards, which I'm working on is okay. How do we figure that out? Like, how do we figure out what's, what are the important levers we need to, to shift on to, to make sure that we're attracting, retaining and training this generation? What's the concern of automation taking away jobs for Gen Z? Actually, for everybody, because I'm always worried about automation. Yeah, it's already happening. Yeah. So right now, my mic is being muffled by some sort of technology where maybe I would have controlled that to a certain degree. Or it's, you know, the thing about automation that I think scared the crap out of everyone was this like, oh, we're going to be run over. And, you know, it manifests in movies like the Will Smith movie, iRobot, right? Yeah. So, our fears are demonstrated oftentimes in art where I think automation is incremental. Like yeah. I think the takeover of the world is going to be an incremental move. Uh, and we're seeing it already. Right. Uh, and some of it's really, really good by the way. And, and that's a position I take in the book. So the fact that there are robots in Amazon warehouses moving goods, is probably a good thing. Like should that, you know, and I could say this with a lot of privilege, but maybe that's a job someone shouldn't have. You know, maybe we should train those folks to do something differently, right? If I think of and, and controversial as it is, like coal mining, right? Like maybe that's a job that should be done by a robot and we should retrain those people to maybe fix the robot or something like a, a different skill set. So I think automation is going to take away jobs that probably should go away. And I talk a lot about my presentation. So you know, the turn of the 20th century uh, in bowling alleys, they had actually people and some, you know, kids, probably, you know, illegal labor, replacing the bowling pins uh, mm -hmm. on the bowling alley. They weren't machines. It was actually human beings like that job. No way that, you know, maybe it had existed in some, you know, old house somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> someone has to replace the 
bowling alley in the basement, but that job doesn't exist anymore. So it's the evolution of these things. So automation, yes, it's going to be incremental. Some of it's going to be great. Some of it's going to be disruptive. And the one thing that I will say is we're not, as a government, and I've been shouting this out probably for about 10 years now, we're not ready. Like we're not, you know, mm -hmm. the retraining programs, they're not, we're not ready there. Like I would start thinking about, Amazon did this to a certain degree with some of their warehouse workers, they retrained them in the healthcare field. Now we all know, looking back, you can see they played their cards, right? Because they're now diving into the healthcare business. But but that was interesting, right? They, there was no short-term gain to Amazon to train these folks, but obviously it was a long-term plan of theirs to get into the healthcare business. But they retrained folks. Like we have to start really thinking about how do we retrain folks, um, especially around automation, because again, it's not going to be today you're doing it manually and tomorrow it's going to be automated. It's going to be an incremental wave that comes over and full jobs are going to be automated. Half of jobs are automated and we're seeing it already. It's the last time you fax something or there's yeah. a lot of things that are, are automated that we just, you know, we just take for granted now. You're right. It is, it is incremental and you wouldn't even realize a lot of the jobs that have been automated already. Like you said, even when you talk about uh, somebody like Amazon, what they've done to the labor market, isn't really talked about too much, you know, but you could just go to a mall. And when I go to a mall around here, it's not really for shopping anymore. It's service, you know, so there, there's doctor's offices, there's, um, there's supermarkets there and stuff now. So it, it's totally changed the way, the way, well, the way we use our feet in some ways and the way we <laughs> use our hands, you know, but it's, it's so easy with, with something like Amazon because it's, you know, my wife does it. I do it. It's like, Oh, I need this. I can have it tomorrow. Great. Here right. It's delivered. It's, it's really oh, Amazon from a, a consumer. Per I, I could talk about that all day. Yeah. Like I, from a consumer perspective, um, completely changed. I mean, obviously focusing on digital and logistics, but Amazon, to me, I go into a store now and I'm like, where I need one thing, I'm trying to find it, I can't find it. Once I find it in the aisle, then they don't have anything left. I'm like, I just wasted 30 minutes of my time. Yeah. And every time I do that, what do I say? I should have gone on to Amazon. Yeah. Say it every time because it's like, click, done. Sometimes they're the same day, sometimes they're tomorrow. Um, but it, yeah, it's these things have a huge change. I mean, Amazon is, a, is an anomaly, but this is the HR geek out. But, you know, you look at sort of the list of jobs that are out there. You know, over time, you see how these jobs kind of disappear and new jobs appear. Right? And then there's going to be a ton of jobs that you and I don't even know about that are going to be open in the next 10 years. So, you know, I think robotics, something or other. Social media manager, I think, was the highest gross, uh, highest uh, volume increase of jobs over the past 10 years that didn't even exist, right? Um, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, 20 years ago. So there's going to be so many different opportunities. The problem is you have a lot of folks that aren't trained, aren't, right. you know, can't be trained or aren't trained. And we, we don't have the right focus. And oftentimes, you know, the government has, has been great on certain things and not so great in other things. In this case, I, companies need to probably take over. Yeah, I think about that with something like the trucking industry, right? So you, it's largely dominated by middle-aged males who didn't get a college education. And it's a pretty good salary for someone who didn't get a college education and, and you know, might not have the same prospects as somebody else. That's where I worry about automation for, for people in that type of industry. And that's where, where you're talking about the government is just not, we're not ready for what that entails, what's going to happen to those people. But the, yeah, you're right. There'll be plenty of jobs, especially for people who are savvy with it. So like Gen Z and the millennial and whoever will be savvy with social media type of jobs if they're exploding because that's what they grew up in. But somebody who's 50 years old and still has a ways to go, I don't know if they have an outlet afterwards to another career path. No, you're, you're spot on. And there, there are a ton of books written about this specifically in, you know, in the middle of the country. We see it less in the sort of, you know, the, the, the coast states like New York or California, yeah. but in the middle of the country, a lot of these jobs are getting either removed or replaced. Of course, you've seen the effort by Uber, Uber trucking, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're away away from that, but it's, you know, we're not that far away from, you know, that entire industry being automated and 
you know, they've said it plenty of time, you know, if you can pull the driver out, um, it becomes less expensive, even for Uber drivers. But from a trucking perspective, it's it's really fascinating to look at that that industry specifically, because you're right. Um, and they're not ready. The government programs are not retraining them into anything else. Uh, and I think they're capable. They're absolutely capable. These are smart individuals that can be retrained. They just need to know that there are other opportunities out there and, and have that retraining. But yeah, we see it and it manifests into to political unrest not you know it's not a political show but you know you see it manifest and and that's you know a lot of people are are looking at these things whether it's you know january 6th or these the sudden surge of you know everyone's calling civil war in the, yeah. the polarization of the united states i think you know for me my opinion is comes down to economics you know these these folks potentially you know they're seeing jobs outsourced the good news i will say I re- i'm reading this book and it's scaring the crap out of me but it's uh, that's always a good thing um yeah. the end of the world is i think it's called the end of the world is the beginning uh, and get the author's name on i'll look i'll look it up when i'm done talking here but um he talks about the, the demographic collapse of the world. And it's just really fascinating because I never really thought about, you know, the U.S. has an incredible opportunity here. Our demographics are okay, even though our birth rates are, are lower. You know, you need, as people age, you need the younger generations to come in to consume things, to produce things. And he's predicting a collapse in countries like China, where they had, you know, restrictive birth rates, and now they don't have a younger workforce to yeah. come in. Or yeah, Europe consumer. has issues like that too, right? France. Yeah, and- he said, uh, he's saying France not so much. He said the birth rates there equate to the U.S., uh, India. You know, these, and you start seeing moves like Apple moving some production over to India and other places from China. You see, like, oh, maybe they they read the book, but. It's my point is you just, you know, some of this may come back where you, you know, you've seen a, a national sort of cry for the United States specifically because of all this outsourcing. I think it, it might boomerang back, yeah. <laughs> frankly, like companies may bring a lot of this back in because of the demographic challenges. But that, you know, and it's not far away either. Like he predicts 10, 15 years, like, you know, the scary book, but also like sobering to a degree. Yeah, I actually agree with you on a lot of that stuff. You see a lot of the unrest because it is kind of a scary time because we just we don't know what's what's happening and it doesn't seem like anybody has answers. And as far as you know, politics is concerned, there's there's just seems to be too much concern with not letting one party best the other, and it's not really it's not really helping people. So how does that manifest? That manifests in stuff like you said, January sixth, or you know, protests on the left. I'm not even I'm not trying to make it one political party or the other. It's 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 an issue of people not feeling safe and secure in the future or the path of the country. Yeah. And there's there's plenty of books on that. So yeah. the research is, is definitely there, political or not. And the book is The End of the World is Just the Beginning and it's written by Peter uh, Zion, who's a, a geopolitical strategist. Really just a super smart individual. Uh, and the book is pretty scary. I mean, he does, you know, kind of a half thumbs up for the U.S. because we're so self-sufficient on things that we could, if we needed to nationalize, we'd be okay. But again, I think also in the aspect of you know talking about Gen Z, like this, you know, this could be a, a huge talent advantage for us, uh, especially around demographics. You know, you know, we were worried about China from an economic perspective. If that you know if that country collapses, I mean, this is literally what he's, at, he's, he's calling for. Um, you know, there's an opportunity here, but um, but yeah. It's just, just interesting and that and that's an impact that we found for gen z is this you know political unrest uh racial inequity you know we've seen they've seen so many of these things and it's a it's an important factor to them on a converse note <laughs> there was a it's very heavy yeah i know that's what i said so oh, it's just joking. a meandering <laughs> conversation you know so <laughs> mit actually had a study i don't know if you ever seen that that they were talking about the in 1972, they had a bunch of MIT uh, scientists, and they predicted that if everything stayed on the path it was, that we would collapse by 2040. And so far, we're doing a great job of staying on, on that path. <laughs> you know, they great. do mention they did mention uh, climate and a couple of other things. I don't have the report anymore in front of me. But uh, <laughs> on the next episode yeah. of Global Collapse with Jay Burke. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, well, you know what, (laughs) you know what, though, there's so many things I, you know, I had a guy on who worked 
a professor to you know he he studied civilizations he actually did work i think with the government a little bit in the 80s and 90s on stuff with the nuclear proliferation and the and the cold war and he's like you know if there's one thing i learned nobody has a clue what's going to happen not one person i ever talked to predicted the fall of the soviet union nobody said you know in the next six months the soviet union's going to fall he's like nobody had a clue what was happening it just happened you kind of you see that nowadays so you, you just you don't know like humans humans are very good at at survival that that's what i could say we figure out a way so very so true we'll, we'll try to make it a little happier on, on that yes <laughs> no, listen even automation too right if you become you may not have the demographics but you have the technical advantage that, yeah you know maybe it's not a full collapse but um but yeah it's just, just really interesting because i never really thought of demographics in that way and it's just super you know the the challenge i have with a book like this is like i what do i do (laughs) it's so much information right (laughs) it is and it's so historical like he he talks about you know the globalization of commerce uh after world war ii and how the u.s protected the seas and how we drew drew back from that and it's just like really i'm like yeah i i think 20 plus years ago when if the teacher was teaching this i'd be like oh when is this clock gonna ring or <laughs> when is this get-? and now i'm like fascinated and i, I listen to it on on bike rides and yeah so, uh, yeah it's funny as you get older with that stuff i'm like it, i'm the same way you know from what i was paying attention to in school let's just get through it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just take the test and kick it out of your brain and now it's like you know i read i read uh i'm a big history guy so i love reading history books and but i like books like that so i might have to check that out you should too. pick it up it's really and he he does a, a a daily email he does a video section and and it started with this sam harris podcast where he was love on harris, someone yeah. else and i'll send you a link over email yeah, but definitely. really cool and i listen to these two smart people and i'm like wow there's so much I don't know, and I love that. I'm like, yes, I'm going to dive into this. So. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I start podcasts because I wanted to have, like, these engaging conversations, and I listen to those guys. But, you know, I don't I don't have the same brain as those guys. I don't have the capacity. <laughs> do I. You know? No. Um, I could touch the sur- – I could scratch the surface on some things maybe, but, uh, yeah. you know, sometimes Dangerous I listen to, like, level, yeah. Yeah, I listen to, like, Sam Harris talk. What he says in three sentences, it would take me, you know – three years to try to explain yep very true <laughs> you know it was an interesting note just that this is off to the side but kind of on our topic i did have somebody on on an episode and um we were talking about actually the um the commodities market he was he was making some kind of patent for it but we got into ai a little bit he said something interesting that i never realized he said well the funny thing with all the r&d they put into ai and trying to streamline everything is easiest thing for ai to streamline would be the job of the ceo but no ceo wants to do that but you think about it it's like makes quick decisions um can look at analytics very quickly you know things like that it's sure it's a job that's just built for ai but he's like of course you know they're not going to put money into getting rid of their own c-suite in their jobs but right but i just i I thought that was funny i was like you know i never thought of it that way that's like such an interesting way to look at it they're trying to get rid of the workers under them to uh (laughs) for the shareholders to be happy reporting i can't can't imagine reporting into ai at some point in the future but yeah that's what i was thinking about too like some program just telling me what I need to be doing what my output should have been or something like that you know sure well it's there already you know I it kind of is i talk in the book this this concept of of cobra metrics so the, the story is in, in in delhi in india when it was uh, ruled by by the british uh they had a cobra outbreak in the city and so they were like all right how are we gonna figure this out and they said all right we're gonna give everyone a reward if you bring in a cobra snake cobra snake we're going to give you a reward and that's going to get them off the street so they implemented it people started bringing cobras and they were getting rewards and then people realized hmm by bringing three cobras i get more reward and so they started farming the cobras and bringing them in and they're like how is there so many cobras you know like we're it's like unlimited amount of cobras here what the heck's going on 
and they realized people were farming them for the rewards and they stopped rewarding them. And what do you think people did? I can't get paid for this cobra now. I release it. Yeah. So now they were overrun by cobras, yeah. right? So the, the concept really in the book is make sure that we're not rewarding or even measuring the wrong thing. And it happened, you know, you talked about telling me what to do or I haven't been productive. We're seeing that already. And, and actually in the turn of COVID in 2020, and I'll redact the name of the company, but big technology company was measuring productivity of their employees by having their cameras on. So it's like, I'm not productive, I'm productive. <laughs> and by the way, for the folks on the audio, I just turned off my camera. Yeah. So it's like, you know, is that really a level of like productivity is having my camera on? Is that a great measure of that? So it, it's definitely a slippery slope and some of it's great. Like you get Fitbit kind of information on your day and your meetings and all that sort of stuff. As long as it's democratized to the individual to get better themselves, right? It's not a company overseeing these things and it definitely could work. But once the company starts measuring these things, and there was a, I think it was a New York Times article called the Work of Productivity Score, which talked about these things too. And, and some some companies were measuring the mouse movement. So, and, and even yeah. on TikTok, there's people that created this thing that jiggles your mouth. I've, so, I've it seen shows, that. so it shows that you're, you know, like it's like, what is going on here? So, you know, we got to be careful. Automation or just metrics in general are great, and people analytics is getting better and better. We just got to be careful. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I'm not naming the company, and I'm, I'm actually not there anymore. So, but when COVID first started, I was with a company and. That was what the higher ups were freaking out about. You know, everybody's going to be home. Nobody's going to do anything. And it was like the same thing. Like, oh, we can measure clicks. We can do this. And I remember saying to my manager, who was totally against all this stuff, you know, I was like, well, you know, one easy measurement would be have you lost business and do you have complaints? You know, like, is business, are you still making money? Are you making more money? That's an easy metric. But <laughs> we. You know, we use time as our as our metric. It, it goes back to what you were saying. I I was in management for a while in my later twenties. I worked for for a bank, and I was in in management. And I used to see like there were people who stayed longer but weren't doing anything. You know, weren't getting anything done. I saw it with managers too. You know, stay twelve hours today, mm. or I would somebody call out, and I'd have to stay. 10 or 12 hours but you know what i i wasn't more productive i just kind of paced myself a little differently right and i would see that a lot with people on salary who wanted to show off oh i'm here all the time but it's like eh, right. you're not getting that much done you had a cobra yeah <laughs> you're you you're farming cobras yeah so i think the metric of productivity is going to be interesting in the future because i've also read things where managers were upset that people were getting the same amount of work done at home but maybe in four hours as opposed to eight and they're like well the, the employee owes me four more hours <laughs> but is that really what you think because they're still getting the job done you know we're not sure that metric of time is is not the best metric to use when it comes to productivity sure yeah, it's listen, it, it's those antibodies that backing the virus, right? It's what they know and what they've read about. It's it's how they work. It's, it's pure Taylorism, which I talk about in the book, and, you know, this idea of productivity measured by hours and output and things of that nature. And you're you're spot on before. And that's that's a stance. The CEO of Doozy, uh, which is my day job as a chief people officer, CEO and I sat down and, you know, we thought about, again, when COVID kind of, crept down a little bit in, in Q3 of, of last year. We were like, do we go back into an office? And we both looked at these and go, we, we're, we're killing it. We've grown 100% year over year in revenue and we have low attrition and people are engaged because we measure those things. And why the heck would we want to change? Like what, you know, and, and it's so ironic because I think if that conversation about remote was in early 2020, it would be very different. Even yeah. for him, even for me, like maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll test this out. Where here it's like, yes, revenue, like that at the end of the day, if we are a business and we're measured on these short term goals, revenue went up and we were highly profitable and, and, and growing and doing well and every, you know, so those metrics were great. Like, why would we disrupt that? And, 
you know, just until recently, we, we were thinking about going back into an office and that surge came and we said, you know what, we're not going to do it. We're fine. And now a lot of our employees now are like, yeah, can we go back in just to go in and hang out and talk to people and because we live alone. And so we're doing it more for the employee. Yeah. And the feedback that we've gotten versus this ideology, like everyone must be in an office and work nine to five and punch a clock. So, um, so it's a very different approach. And then we, I see it, I always say we're using the office as a tool. Like we do Gmail or Slack or, you know, whatever tools you have in your workforce, the office is now a tool. Yeah. You know, so on a personal level, I like the hybrid schedule because I do like going into the office and talking to people during covid it got very especially when the kids got back to school and we still weren't in the office it was it, you almost, it's a little lonely like you said like some of the kids live alone i i don't live alone so it wasn't the same but some people do so going into the office and just seeing faces you know it, there is something it does foster some kind of unity too as well so i get it from that perspective but if somebody tried to tell me i had to go back five days a week there's just too many there's too many jobs out there that, that are offering <laughs> the perk of not going back five days a week i wouldn't do it. they are and yeah. sometimes the market is, is the invisible hand right for yeah. thing. oftentimes you may have an ideology and like i said at the, at the start like goldman sachs or jp morgan five days a week they may quickly learn that a lot of that talent leaves maybe it doesn't again like you know that they're they're the top notch of that industry and it's always good to have them on your resume so people may sacrifice but again it's their it's it's ultimately their choice and, and that's where we're getting towards and, and you're right like there are folks that want to jump in meet with other folks there's you know there are caretakers that would rather have the flexibility of working from home and, and really looking at output output versus the amount of hours that i'm working so it's just it's really one of the greatest social experiments we've ever done and it's been fascinating being a part of it yeah i would i would assume that it's going to stay this way for most industries right you don't see a, a change coming well, i think some some will go i mean we're seeing financial services go you know pull people back in you start apple you know apple was asking people to go back in and they they kind of withdraw from that so i think you're going to see there's certain industries that have to, right? Like retail has to be in, healthcare has to be in person, right? So those, those you just, because of the fundamentals of the job, you have to be in, in an office. But for those jobs that don't necessarily know, I think you're, and it's, and it also like Adam Grant has a really interesting article. Uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, inspired actually by his work to, to write my own book, but he, it's one of the only sports analogies here I ever give, but you know, he talks about, you know, the different functions of a job being like sports teams. So some, in some cases, if you're, you know, an individual contributor, like a golfer or even like baseball, you're, you're kind of, you're on your own, like that kind of work you can do from home, right? You're not, you know, but if you're in more like basketball where you're like kind of throwing, you know, pass and then getting a pass and throwing a pass, you know, you're kind of like, if work is like that, it's definitely better to be in person because you're able to sort of trade off of each other. So, it, it, you know, I think it's, it's going to be industry. I think it's also going to be, you know, what do you do? Uh, and, and is, is the, 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 the elements of your job, does it require that? Is it better for you to be in? Cause there was also, I follow a company called humanize started by Ben Weber that looked at all the metadata of connections of emails and all these digital breadcrumbs. And, and they, they had a case study that showed, um, gaming, the gaming industry was laid on a bunch of releases because of COVID because a lot of the gaming designers and the engineers are more productive in office like they get more stuff done versus being remote and a lot of their work a lot of their their releases were delayed because of covid so there's going to be some either industries or jobs or whatever that are going to be more customized to a hybrid or full remote or or all in how long did it take you to write the book oh um maybe a year and a half to kind of get it and then had an editor take a look at it and then found a publisher so all in literally the two years of COVID uh, from when I started to when I published earlier this year, but to actually write it was about a year and a half. And it's always the problem that I, I'm a first time writer, but it was like, I'd write and then I'd go back to that and edit where I should have just wrote, 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 you know, and then yeah. gone back to it to that, you know, if I want to do this thing again, which I don't know if I would, because <laughs> what they don't tell you is writing it is hard. Like selling it is harder. You, 
I didn't realize this because I never published a book before. The publisher is great and they're supportive, but they don't do anything to sell. It's so odd to me. Like you're no, you're you're the one getting money for the publishing of this book. Wouldn't you want to sell it more, like and promote it more? And not a lot of that, unless you're you know your best-selling author. Yeah, I, I read that about the really industry. interesting. That's why they talk it's about so counterintuitive to me. I don't yeah. understand. You're you like I don't make I make a penny. Off, or, uh, off of a bucket that like you're making a majority of the money wouldn't you want to sell it thing it's so it's very strange to me but yeah I've, I've read that about the industry unless you're in the top tier they they're not really pushing the book you're still doing all the work that's why a lot of people still self-publish it and yeah and and go that route but um i guess there's still perks though to to using a, a publishing house or whatnot yeah i mean i loved my a press they typically do more technical publishing but this is like one of the first or, or a few times that they actually did something outside of that and they've been great like they but i you know my expectation was a lot more and maybe you know again it was my i was being naive but they've been a great partner and you know in getting this out there and the editor-in-chief is, is fantastic She's such a smart woman um they've been great about it but i would thought you'd it'd be a lot more push on that side but there there isn't so yeah. it's just an interesting experience to me yeah yeah very interesting that's well, kind of an impossible question to answer but i guess there's too much that goes into that i was going to say how do you see gen z can you see something with the generation after gen z i forget what they're called gen alpha maybe i think they're alpha, called. yeah yeah do you see do you do you see something coming along the lines for them or it's too early to tell and there's just too many variables yeah i mean i think it's uh i think the answer is no like i i think we're even we're just on the cusp of gen z and trying to understand them and and even doing research on it who knows the behaviors may be the same as the research or different than the research so we will need some more time with them because they're oldest i believe is 25 so only a, a year or two in the workforce yeah um, but in a couple of years they'll be 30 to 40 percent so we'll get more data there and then we'll god willing i'm around we'll, we'll tackle alpha it'll just be interesting because you you pretty much learn off of what you saw like what what you talked about we'll watch our parents you know slave basically work like dogs for a company and then get tossed aside and then you can see the difference in each generation from there. It's just it'll be interesting to see what the generation after after this one is is like when it comes to the workforce. Yeah. I mean, if you think of the element, they're probably very where boomers were very different. You know, and the, there are commonalities, by the way, like the you know the sort of basic needs of of humans um, are across all these generations. But you know, boomers are different than X. X is different. Millennials. Millennials are different than. Gen Z, I, I think this next generation, unless, you know, VR takes over some sort of Web3 thing, like, yeah. they might be very close to, they might be the two generations that are pretty close to each other, because they're all digital. It, it really hasn't been, if you thought, think about it in the last, like, what really groundbreaking thing has has come about. And that's what's scary, you know, that's what gets scary, because you're like, is that AI? Is it, you know, robots? Like, yeah. that's going to be real interesting but nothing they might you know they might have the same influences that gen z had yeah oh you know it'll be interesting too because as these generations grow up the way they are you know institutions and corporations are going to change at the top the relationship even between shareholder and and the ceo is going to have to change because there's just different types of values that aren't ingrained in them that was ingrained in the generation before so yeah. That's a great point. We see that already, right? Yeah. With some of the young startup founders are very different. Their focus on diversity is, you know, like we, we're seeing that even with some of the founders that I've worked with that are, you know, Generation X too. So, and, and now millennials, right? You know, that's that's the demographic thing that Peter talked about right there. Everyone's moving up in that demographics and you kind of, you want a pyramid where, you know, the oldest is the smallest generation and the, and the youngest is the largest generation. So, yeah, you're, you're going to see folks and that's going to be transformative, right? Once you have investors interested in it, you know, that's the whole big macroeconomic chain. It's like investors are going to be interested in it, see the, see the benefit of focusing on these things. Which means you know the CEOs are going to be interested in it. Which means the companies are going to focus on it. So there's yeah that that I could see as a, a fundamental change more on the technology side. Like 
you know, like I said, maybe AI or robotics could change this generation in a way that we don't know. Because I was trying to think of like a big internet was huge for us and millennials and Gen Z yeah. and mobile was, you know, iPhone was big. The, the, the laptop computer was big. It's like, really, you know, we just get better cameras on our iPhones these days. Uh, yeah, you get, uh, you get a new phone every year and yeah, it's, the, the cameras are really <laughs> cool. You know, the stuff I do for the show with just my phone is amazing. This, the, yeah, <laughs> the technology. Everybody, everybody's a photographer. You know, it's, <laughs> it sure is. No. So who knows? But there's, like I said, there might be technology out there that we're not aware of, hasn't been invented yet. I mean, you think about privacy and other things. I think that's going to be a hot button issue over the yeah, next, it's gonna be you know, half a decade. So that's where the next generation is going to be uh, very pivotal. Because right now, when you talk about lawmakers or you know, other types of institutions. It's just, they're so far behind on what technology can do. You know, you've seen it when you watch like some of the hearings with, with Mark Zuckerberg, the questions that were being asked, you're like, wow, you know, it's, it's straight <laughs> up. Like when you help your, your dad or your, or your grandparent. So when that you know, upholder comes out of your computer, yeah, now, com- I'm even <laughs> aging myself with that. Cause there's no longer distress any of these things but, listen i um, i remember coming home from school and being all excited to go on like aol and i would literally start the computer up click on it i'd hear that weird buzzing sound and i'd go make a sandwich and get a drink it just take my time before i went back to my desk because i knew it was going to take like 15 minutes before i was on the internet <laughs> amazing ah the good old days yeah yeah can you imagine now? I it, it happened here in my house, and I knock on wood, my internet has been very steady for two years. But went out one day, and it was Lord of the Flies in my yeah. house, like my, and it literally like the internet goes out, and it's like, yeah, and I'm like, yes, and I knew what it was, and like, did you turn off the internet or you know something wrong with the internet? And it was like they didn't know what to do with themselves. They had cellular service, obviously, on their phones, but in other devices, they didn't, their laptops, whatever, the gaming system. My goodness, you know, you couldn't go online to Fortnite or, or anything like that. And it was, and I had a hotspot on my phone, and it's the only one that has one in there. It's like, I became very popular, so just <laughs> Everybody was nice yeah, to dad things. that day. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, when, when the power goes out or something, you know, we had a few storms that knock the power out for days i have you know we're like in a dead zone if you don't have any kind of modem running or or anything and yeah it's it's a miserable experience it's a miserable experience because the power's out (laughs) you know as a parent you're like i gotta save the food in the fridge where am i gonna go to wash clothes what am i gonna do here that you know how am i gonna wake up in the morning (laughs) without my alarm (laughs) clock and but yeah when you add kids who are used to used to having everything at their fingertips it's a miserable experience actually it's funny i remember i i I was taking my son to school and we're it's just such a different mindset we were talking about music i think i said you know it's an amazing time for me sometimes because i think a song pops into my head and i'm like i remember i would either have to wait by the radio and you know press those two buttons to record it when it came on i listened to all the commercials and then i wanted to make sure i was sitting there and, and i recorded or I went and I bought a CD for 12 bucks at the store, and then I had, you know, all the songs, and I had to listen to it. And I remember him saying, he's like, I don't know, the idea that I'd have to pay $12 just to listen to somebody's music is, is just beyond me. And I was like, man, that guy made that music. <laughs> and now he's getting, like, .001 cent for something you're enjoying. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. like. Yeah. I, and Apple changed that too, right? Like I, I love because oftentimes it's like I don't want to buy this whole album because I know there's not going to be right. You know, all the songs are going to be good. And when they went to oh, I could buy just one song, that was game changing in the industry. Now you're streaming it all, right? And 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 they do like some, yeah. The highest streamers obviously they make the most money, but um, yeah, it's uh, definitely very more consumer based. Well, that's why uh, you they see. don't. You see yeah. so many of them doing commercials and stuff because that's where the income stream really comes from nowadays. Or concerts now, right? Concerts, concerts are, are used to be huge. cheap to go to a concert when me and you were younger, right? right? You used to now pay like 18 bucks. Revenue. I used to pay like 18, 20 bucks. You know, if I wanted really good seats, yeah, then I'd pay a little money. Now it's like, you know, a $100 ticket would get me all the way up 
I'd be in like what is it Wembley Stadium all the way all the way right right <laughs> seventy thousand exactly. people in front so, of me. So that's you know, and I always look at these things and I'm like, this is it's the evolution, right? It's the circle of life. Yeah. So, you know, on the on the next episode of two Gen Z Gen X complainers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like it's you know, there's there's some really good things that are happening. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, thank you for coming on. I enjoyed it. If there, maybe in the future, I'll have you on again. We can talk about some uh, some other stuff going on with Gen Z or or generation Sounds stuff. Sounds good. All right. Yeah, no, I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Jen. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Uh, you know what? You want to plug the book and maybe your podcast or whatever else you want to plug? Sure, sure. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. So the book is uh, on Amazon or it's in Target now, if you know Target. Uh, the New Employee Contract, How to Find, Keep, and Elevate Gen Z Talent. Uh, it's out on Kindle now. Audiobook coming soon. I'm trying to really get Malcolm Gladwell to record the audiobook, but I don't know if he's going to do it. So <laughs> if you're, he's just got a magical voice. But anyway, yeah. find out, grab the book. Uh, and yeah, the podcast is called Burn the Bomb. It's uh, 10 minutes of a contrarian viewpoint on business, life, and human resources. So really appreciate it, Jack. Yeah, check it out, everybody. All right. Well, thank you again, Anthony. Thanks to everyone who took some time out of their day today to listen. The With Jayberg Show is available wherever you find your favorite podcasts or go directly to jaybergshow.podbean.com and subscribe to get the latest episodes. I know it may not always be a straight line, but I hope we'll see you again to take the journey and escape a while for thoughtful excursions into the world of ideas across politics, technology, pop culture, and all realms of civic life. See you soon.